are heading out, I want to tell you today we will be starting a new series. We just came off of our Limitless series. We talked about the limitless abilities of God and all the things that go with it. But today we're going to be shifting. We're going to be shifting into what's called a time in the wilderness. And as we look at a time in the wilderness, we're going to be looking at three specific passages for the next six weeks. Those passages are found in Matthew chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, and Mark chapter 1. More specifically, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 14. And Matthew, or sorry, Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. And we're going to be diving into that today for, for a reason. And you might be thinking, well, why are we going to be looking at that? Well, let me tell you what those passages are about, first of all. First of all, the passages are about Jesus and him being driven into the wilderness to face tests and temptations. You might be thinking, well, why today? Why are we doing that? I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but Wednesday was Valentine's Day. It was also Ash Wednesday. Not a whole lot of people really grasp what Ash Wednesday is. They see people walking around with ashes on their forehead, and they see different things. And, and even people with the ashes on their forehead don't quite grasp it. What it is, though, is the beginning of a period called Lent. Now, many different Christian denominations celebrate Lent, and what Lent is is the 40 days leading up to Easter, not including Sundays, because actually it's 46 days. And they, they take time to uh, basically uh, give up certain things, certain pleasures, certain foods to remember Jesus in the wilderness. So what we're going to do as a church is we're going to walk in this time in the wilderness, and we're going to take a look at the things that God has taught us and will continue to teach us in that. We're going to remember this time, and we're going to look at what it is. Now, this time started immediately after Jesus was affirmed by a voice from heaven being baptized. A voice from heaven came down saying, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And so we're going to take a look at this time that as soon as he was affirmed, as soon as he was put into this position of ministry, as soon as all these things, he heads into the desert for 40 days of time in the wilderness, 40 days in solitude, 40 days of temptation and testing. And so as we're going to look at that, what I want to do is I want to say, what can we learn from that? And, and how can we take a look at it over this, this next six weeks? What, why do we need to talk about the wilderness? Well, here's the thing. I believe that if you live life, if you love life, if you have any interaction with people, you will at some point in time end up in a period of the wilderness, a period of desolation, a period of loneliness, a period of hurting, of of hunger, of thirst, of longing, that dry, desolate place that both is physical and spiritual. And so what I want to do is I want to, to take a look at what Jesus did and see what we can learn from that. So what we're going to do is we're going to start out with today a time of learning. And as we start out today with a time of learning, what we're going to do is we're, we're going to take a look at all the things that we can learn. Now, each thing that follows this is things we will learn from, but today we're going to learn something specific. So this week will be a time of learning. Next week, we're going to look at a time of challenge, because while Jesus was in the desert, he was being tempted, or if you look at the literal translation, he was being tested. There was challenges that were being thrown down, and the good thing is we can see how Jesus overcame them, and we can also see that we, when we go through those same things, how we can overcome them. The fourth, March 4th, we're going to talk about a time of dependence. 
Because if you look at Jesus in the wilderness, he was dependent on the Spirit. If you look at the Israelites in the wilderness, they were dependent on God to provide for their daily. You'll give us our daily bread. So as we look at that, we're going to look at that as well. Then on March 11th, which is Spring Forward Sunday, so there's going to be a whole lot more people in here that missed the 9 o'clock service. They're going to show up and be here for this. Um, There's going to be a time of doubt. Because one of the things I found in the wilderness is you ask, why God? Where are you, God? What are you doing, God? And so there's this time of doubt that comes, and the great thing is is that as we'll see even in our reading today, the Scripture says that the Spirit was with Jesus. And so we'll know that in our time of doubt that the God is with us as well, which leads to the next week, a time of comfort. The Spirit is there, and we'll be comforted by that. And then the final week as we head into Palm Sunday on Sunday, March 25th, we're going to be talking about a time of new beginnings. Because one of the great things in the Bible is this. Every time there's a situation, every time there, there's a, a period of time, it ends or it has in the Bible, as King James Version says, and the time will pass, or something along the lines of the, it came to pass, or the days have passed. The ESV uses after many days. great thing about the wilderness is it will come to an end. And new beginnings will come because of that. And we're going to actually celebrate those new beginnings the following week on Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday, the ultimate in new beginnings, the ultimate in new life, the resurrection from the dead, that he is alive. And after we celebrate Easter and celebrate the fact that he is alive, we're going to start in the book of Colossians after that. And we're going to look at living in the supremacy of God and looking at the supremacy of Christ and living in that. And knowing that because he's alive, that we're alive. So that's really what's going to lead us into summer. It's crazy to think about talking about summer on February 18th. But I just gave you the whole laydown of all of it all. But even as we look, and we talk about this time for learning, and the time for challenge, and the time for comfort, and the time for doubt, all these things. One thing we need to understand is that thousands of years ago, the wisest man around by the name of Solomon had written a book called Ecclesiastes, and he told us there was a time for everything. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can open to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you have no idea where Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is, because it doesn't just naturally fall open anymore to, uh, to that, and it's a little difficult to find, you can just follow along on the screen with us, and then just put your finger in Matthew and Mark and Luke that we'll be reading here shortly. This is what Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says, starting in verse 1. It says, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. Now, I like the message version of that particular verse as well. It says, there is an opportune time to do things, a right time for everything on the earth. Those right times, back into the ESV, it says in verse 2, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. I read this to start off because I want you to know there is a time for everything, including a time in the wilderness. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at this time of the wilderness and see what happens during that time. And the first thing we're going to look at is a time for learning. And like I said already, a time for learning is going to help us understand learning from the challenges and learning from the doubt and learning from the comfort and learning from all of the things we're going to talk about, even learning from the new beginnings. And as we are there, we're going to learn that this time too shall pass. Now, I can't remember when they started, 
But there used to be these posters that would come out or the, uh, the, um, the emails would come out. And it was basically something along the lines of everything I needed to learn, I learned in. And it was kindergarten or you kind of fill in the blank with that. And there was different variations that came out through it all. And there was one that talks about the things that kids had learned in their short lives. And I wanted to share some of their thoughts, if you don't mind, just with you for a second. But the first one is you can't trust dogs to watch your food for you. Okay? Second thing is, is don't sneeze when somebody is cutting your hair. Yeah, <laughs> been there, right? Um, you can't hide a piece of broccoli in a glass of milk. No matter how hard you try, you cannot baptize a cat. And when your mom is mad at your dad, don't let her brush your hair for you. These are what we might call times of hard learning. Or we might even say learning the hard way. And here's the thing about the wilderness. It, it is similar in that that we learn the hard way. We've kind of listed some of the things we've learned. Like I said, over the next six weeks, we're going to talk about those things. But one thing seems to come right to the forefront when I think about a time to learn. And that time to learn comes right down to priorities. Because in our hard learning, we have a tendency to see what really matters most in our lives. And I think about that, and as I think about it, I, I want us to even today to look at our lives and look at some of the things that take place in our lives and what matters most. Now, I found a video online that is described in our life, jelly beans. And that video about jelly beans, I was going to go, I actually went to Target, and I went to Walmart, and I went to Walgreens to find jelly beans on clearance, because it's after Valentine's Day, and sorry guys, they're all out, so you don't get any uh, jelly beans today, but you do get to watch this video as it breaks down our life in jelly beans. These are roughly 28,835 jelly beans. I counted out 500 of them and used those to weigh the rest. In this pile, there's one jelly bean for each day that the average American will live. You might have more beans in your life, or maybe less, but on average, this is the time we have. Here's a single bean. It's your very first day. A special day, but kind of a rough day on everyone involved. Add 364 more, and you have the first year of your life. Now, for a sense of scale, here are your first 15 years. 5,475 days which brings us to the threshold of adulthood. And at that moment, this is the time that we have left. And this is, on average, what we will do with all that time. We will be asleep for a total of 8,477 days. If we're lucky, some of that time we'll be sleeping next to someone we love. We will be in the process of eating, drinking, or preparing food for 1,635 days. We'll be at work, hopefully doing something satisfying, for the equivalent of 3,202 of those days. 1,099 days will be spent commuting or traveling from one place to another. Maybe a little bit more if you live in L.A. On average, we will watch television in one form or another for a total of 2,676 days. Household activities, like chores and tending to our pets and shopping, will take another 1,576 days. And we will care for the needs and well-being of others, our friends and family, for 564 days. We'll spend 671 days bathing, grooming, and doing all other bathroom-related activities. And another 720 days will go to community activities, like religious and civic duties, charities, and taking classes. After we remove all those beans, this is what remains. This is the time that we have left. 
Time for laughing, swimming, making art, going on hikes, text messages, reading, checking Facebook, playing softball, maybe even teaching yourself how to play the guitar. So what are you going to do with this time? How much of it do you think you've already used up? If you only had half of it, what would you do differently? What about half of that? How much time have you already spent worrying instead of doing something that you love? What if you just had one more day? What are you going to do today? Interesting thought process to think there's a time for everything. But as you look at that and you think about what if you just had one more day? You know, my guess is there's a handful of you maybe in here that are NASCAR fans and are really looking forward to today. Got a little NASCAR Daytona 500 thing going on. Some of you went, I don't even know what that means, so that's okay. But, you know, what are you going to do with today? What are you going to do with tomorrow? And, and when do we understand what matters the most? Because when we get the clear sense of priority, it, it changes the way we live. Because when we live without a clear sense of priority, this is what I kind of think it's like. The best way to describe it is, is that it's like going to the grocery store really hungry without a list. And maybe you've done that. Maybe you've gone to Costco or Sam's Club because they're the worst at it. And you've gone to those places and you've come home with a massive amount of stuff that isn't going to do you any good at all for an actual meal. Just snacks upon snacks upon snacks. We just go and we say, well, I, I wanted this, but then it's just a big mess. And sometimes we can see that in our own lives. We, we will go through life like it's a Costco and there's all these things, different ways we can spend our, <clears throat> excuse me, spend our resources, our time, our abilities, even our influence. And we say, where am I going to put this? And we kind of spend it here, spend it there, spend it here, spend it there, and never really have the priority of what it should be. And so I think, or maybe even I know, that our time in the wilderness helps us lock down our priorities. Our time in the wilderness helps us do that, and we see that in our own lives. But how about Jesus? Because as we read this passage today, and we look at this passage today, what about Jesus? Why did he have to go into the wilderness? I mean, he seemed like he came with a purpose from the very beginning. I mean, it says that he was sent, and he was sent to, to save the world by, by shedding his blood, by hanging on the cross, all the things. We know all of that, and he was God, so he had to, why did he have to go into the wilderness? And I think what we need to do is maybe even pick up just a few verses before that and see this transition that takes place in his life. Because for the first 30 years of his life, he has been living, he's been doing things, he's had interactions, he's been part of the synagogue, he's been a part of the temple, he's had conversations with the priests and they're blown away. We see that at age 12. All these different things start, start taking place. What leads to this point at this point in time and what leads even to what's next? So if you have your Bibles with you, I would love for you to open to Mark chapter 1. And if you could put your finger in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, we're going to kind of bounce between all of them because Mark does a great job of keeping it concise. His is two verses long. Everybody else is 12, 13, and 14 verses long. He just keeps it short and concise. But we're going to start there, and actually we're going to start just two verses even before that when Jesus comes out of his hometown to get baptized and start ministry. So if you have your Bibles open, Mark chapter 1 is where we're going to start at. And we're going to look at some of these questions about why Jesus went through this and what for. First thing is, is this. It says, in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Like I said, Mark keeps it short and sweet. And he, he says that Jesus basically leaves home because it's time for his ministry to begin. And here's what happens when his ministry begins. He gets baptized. Now, John was the Baptist. I mean, we, we call him John the Baptist, and he was baptizing people for the repentance of their sins. 
Let me ask you a question. Have you ever wondered why Jesus got baptized? Because he didn't have any sin, so he didn't have to repent. So why did Jesus get baptized? And really, this is a whole sermon in itself, so I'm just going to keep it real short, real concise, so you don't have to have too much on your plate today. But here's what I wrote down. Why did he get baptized? Well, one, John was the one that was leading the way for the Messiah who was to come. He was the forerunner. He was the one, the voice in the wilderness of all things, to, to say, this is who's coming. So when Jesus comes to be baptized, he says, finally, this is him. This is the guy. This is the one. Second thing I see why he got baptized was John, his parents were of descendants of Levi, which made him a descendant of Levi, and they were also direct descendants of, of Aaron, and they were in the Aaron priestly line. So they were priests. Well, what was one of the jobs that we talked about uh, back if, if you were here at Christmas time? We talked about prophet, priest, and king. We talked about what the priest's duty is. One of the priest's duty was to prepare the offering of the sacrifice to go to the altar. Would you not say that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice or is the ultimate sacrifice, the last preparation that was going to be done? This baptism could be described as that. Also, Jesus was baptized to identify with sinners. His, baptized, his baptism symbolized the sinner's baptism of righteousness into Christ. He actually told John, John, he, he meets John in Matthew chapter 5, uh, sorry, yeah, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 13, he, he meets him, or, no, sorry, I'm off, it's 3.15. In Matthew 3.15, he meets John, and John doesn't want to baptize him, because he knows who he is. And he doesn't want to baptize him, and says, I can't, but he says, no, the fullness of righteousness are going to be found in this. So he's pointing to that righteousness, and he provides to say, this is going to be an exchange. And Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So this baptism is a picture of that as well. Finally, we'll see in verse 10, it's also the picture of the Trinity. So this is what it says here in verse 10. It says, And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. So we see the baptism. We see the Trinity. But look what Mark says next. And we've already kind of used this word in it all. But it says he immediately, the Spirit immediately drove Jesus into the wilderness. Immediately drove Jesus into the wilderness. And I stop and I think about that word drove. As he's driving Jesus into the wilderness, why? Why did he have to drive him into the wilderness? Was Jesus reluctant on going into the wilderness? Was Jesus not thinking, hey, you know what? I've already been sitting around for 30 years. I'm now baptized. I'm now affirmed my by my Father. I let me go do what I've been called to do, which is seek and save the lost. Was that the reason why it was a driving thing? Was, it, was there anything in that? All these questions started coming to my mind. And then it says this in verse 13. And when he was in the wilderness 40 days, he was being tempted by Satan. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I grew up in the church, and I've heard this passage lots of times, this Matthew 4 and, and Mark 1 and, and Luke 4, and it always talks about the three temptations that are at the end. We're going to talk about those next week. But here's the thing that I've missed often through reading it all. It's not just three temptations. It says here in this passage that he was tempted by Satan the whole time. As a matter of fact, and we're going to read Matthew 4, we're going to read Luke 4, verse 1, that the whole time they were, he was being tempted tempted by the devil. So it wasn't just three days. It wasn't just at the end of the 40 days. It was the entire time he was there. And this is what it says in verse, uh, uh, continuing on in verse 13. And he was there with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. 
So there's so much in there, and we're going to unpack that over the next six weeks as we look. But now I want you to jump over to Matthew chapter 4 for me. And this is where we're really going to stay at and look at the whole passage here. But it says this, it says in verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Luke 4 says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, which I love how he added that phrase in there, returned from the Jordan and was led up to the Spirit, or led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Jumping back to Matthew 4, verse 2, it says, After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Well, of course. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man should not live by bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of God. Crazy thing is that passage that he's reading right there actually comes from Deuteronomy when the Israelites were in the wilderness themselves and getting manna from heaven. It says this in verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus replied to him, Again it's written, You shall not put your Lord God to the test. And again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and only shall serve him. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. And Luke chapter 4 ends it this way. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time, which I thought was an interesting choice of words there. In verse 14, it says, And Jesus returned, underline these words in your Bible, in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And the report about him went out through all the surrounding country. Great thing is, if we're looking at that passage, we're going to dive deeper into it over the next six weeks, like I said. But there's so much in there and so many little things that are said and so many little things that are done. The one thing that I have for today, though, is this, is why the wilderness? Why was Jesus sent into the wilderness? Why was he driven into the wilderness? Why was this taking place? I mean, the wilderness is a dangerous, lonely, deadly, risky place, easy to get lost, easy to get confused. Why would the Spirit drive him there? And I ask these questions. Was it to provide or prioritize the mission or that idea of prioritizing in, in our wilderness? Was it to show that he had conquered temptation through the Spirit and was ready to embrace the purpose that God had created him for? Or not, ooh, that was a bad word, not created. Please do not, do not take that. Uh, the reason why he came to earth, was it to show that he would not rely on his humanity, but instead rely on the Spirit when it came to delivering the oppressed and defeating death and performing miracles? Was it his time to, to declare mastery over his human nature so that he could live every moment directed by the Spirit? To say, I am in the Spirit? Because Romans 8 and 9 actually says that we, if you were a Christian, are not of the flesh, but you are of the Spirit. Was he trying to relate us to that and show us how to do that? Was it possibly that it was time just to sort out what matters most and get a clear vision and get the purpose and, and the will of God in his mind so he could do that? Is that what the wilderness was? And my answer to you is this, yes. It, it, it was all of those things. And as we look at that, I guess the question would be, well, what, what could we take from that? How can we spend six weeks looking at this and learning these priorities and all this? See, Matthew and, and, and Luke, they tell very much about the, the three temptations, that, that of wealth and fame and power. Why did 
Satan want to throw that wealth and fame and power into Jesus? Why did that become the thing that we are looking at? Well, as you look at that, you have to think, he was trying to deviate him from the mission that was given. The mission that was given for Jesus to seek and to save the lost. Everything about wealth and power and fame and all of that, it kind of drives us in that other direction. Well, do we have the same thing that we get confused and we get kind of turned and, and we, we get deviated from our mission by those things of wealth and fame and power? What do we get in the wilderness? What did Jesus get in the wilderness? I began to think about that. I want you to think about the times that you've been in that desolate place, that time where you, you felt far from God, that time that you felt that everybody else had abandoned, that time that you just felt something was missing. Maybe it's a time after death. Maybe it's a time after hurt. Maybe it's a time after pain. Maybe it's a time after sickness. Maybe it's a time after loneliness. Maybe it was a time following a relationship or, or, a, or financial breakdown, whatever it might be. There, there's a time that is there. What is it that you learned in that time? And I can tell you, I have plenty of wilderness experiences in my life. And I, I'll just give you a, a real quick summary version of, of some of them. Because there, there has been more than I'll tell you, and I'm sure there's more to come. But I can tell you the first one that I can vividly remember, I was in fourth grade. I had a little dog named Bubba. Bubba was a collie mix, and he was my dog, a boy and his dog. You know that kind of thing? Well, Bubba uh, was still a puppy, still doing all kinds of crazy stuff, got through a hole in the fence and drowned in my neighbor's pool. And I remember going out as a kid that morning, looking for him, calling for him to come inside, looking over the fence and saw him in the pool. A crushing experience for, for a fourth grader. I think any man losing his dog, but for a fourth grade boy, man, it was just so difficult to deal with. That same year, no correlation between the two, but my parents got divorced. Another time of wilderness, just, just holding you down. Uh, when I was 17, my stepdad was killed in an accident. And, and I think about that when I was 19. My stepdad's brother, my uncle, died of, of AIDS complications because he was a hemophiliac and had gotten a, a blood transfusion that was, was tainted. And he'd gotten, gotten the HIV virus. And, and, and watching, uh, watching a, a man that you looked up to who was strong and healthy wither away into basically nothingness, that's a wilderness time. And just a few short years after that, my grandfather, their dad, got cancer, and it took his life. And the crazy thing is, I think about this wilderness time, and I look at my grandmother, who is the mother of these two boys, and obviously the wife to my grandfather, and she was a strong woman. Because not only did she lose those two boys because of hemophilia, which is a blood disorder which doesn't allow you to clot, they'd actually lost another son when he was four years old that had fallen down the stairs and bled to death. And I think about these wilderness times in my life, and to, to go back, you know, even after we'd gotten married, they, they told us that we couldn't have kids. And, and that was a, a hard time for us, because that's what we wanted. We wanted to have kids. We wanted to have a family. And they said, sorry, you can't. And, and uh, you know, there was a time uh, we finally had a child, and um, shortly after that, had a whole new wilderness time of, of being without a, a job, not in ministry, not doing the things that I love. As a matter of fact, I found a job selling cars in Amarillo. You want to talk about a wilderness time. Um, I, that, that, was, that was where it was at. And then finally got a job, uh, came to, to New Mexico. And uh, Christy, uh, even after we had our first child, they said, oh, you're not going to have any more. Christy got pregnant again, and we miscarried. And, and, and that was a, a hard, hard time as well. 
And all these wilderness times continue to, to grow. And, and like I said, just, just the tip of the iceberg had cancer twice. And, and, and in that, that was difficult. And, and trying to figure out, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? And like I said, that's just a few. But these are life-defining moments. This wilderness time was a life-defining time. And we say, what can we take from that? And I can tell you the two things that I took from that. First thing is this. I am not in control. That is the first lesson that I learned. I am not in control. As much as I'd like to be, as much as, much as I would like to, to, to think or put on the appearance of, I am not in control. And the second thing is, is that there's things that are important in life and there's things that aren't. But the wilderness times what showed me that. Not the times of prosperity, not the times of, of all the good stuff that's going on. You know, I saw wilderness time unfold in front of my eyes this week. And I bet you did too. As you watched the news and saw the, the 17 people shot and killed in a school. And, and, of course, so much tragedy involved in that. So much pain involved in that. So much questioning of why God. And, of course, each one of those families that, that is going to deal with that are going to go through this same wilderness time. But even in the midst of that, our country comes together almost in a wilderness time and begins to cast blame and throw blame and there's all kinds of things and this side says hey we have to do this and this side says we have to do this and we have to have more government regulations we have to have better facebook rants and we have to have all of this stuff that's going to do this can i just tell you something the problem with our world is sin and the problem with our world is evil there is no government regulation that's going to take care of that there is no no anything that we can do other than overcome evil with good that is going to change anything and so we need to be the ones as the church that demonstrates that because that is what Paul actually tells us. We cannot be overcome by evil, but instead overcome evil with good. But what are we doing besides just talking about it? And so we, we need to be doing this, and we learn these things in the wilderness when that evil is real. And we see it, and the great thing is, is there's going to be a day when Jesus comes back. And when he does, it's going to change everything. But until that day, we're here doing his mission. I also had the opportunity this week, I'm a, I'm a chaplain with the, the Rio Rancho Police Department. On Valentine's Day night, about 10.30, my phone rang. And uh, it was the dispatch saying, hey, we have, we have uh, a death notica- notification for you to do. And I'll tell you, if there's one thing that I don't like about ministry, it's that. That is not, not a fun thing. So I met two officers, and we went up to the door of this house and knocked on the door to, to, to let this woman know that her husband was killed in an accident. And... The door opens, and of course, it's late. It's about, about 11, 15 or so, and, and she's visibly upset because she doesn't know where her husband's at. And she's, she begins to tell us the whole story, how she's called this and called that and can't seem to find him and can't get a hold of him on his phone and so on and so forth. So to bring the words to say, ma'am, I'm sorry to inform you that as a result of an accident, your, your husband was, was killed, is a devastating thing. And to watch a body collapse and just break down and in the process of that breakdown she kept asking one question over and over again was why but the statement she kept saying was i wasn't prepared for this she kept saying that i wasn't prepared for this and of course i look over here it's valentine's day and all the stuff that hasn't been opened yet sitting on the table and as a person with a soul that hurts and we think to ourselves how can we go through this? How can we do this? How can we make it through this wilderness? She's going to be experiencing wilderness all herself. And the thing is, is we all ask the same question. I wasn't prepared for this. Why are you doing this to me, God? 
And that's a question we have to really internalize and really walk through. And I believe as we look at this, we have to understand that the wilderness brings us to the end of ourselves. All the things that we think, all the things that we think we can handle, we realize that we can't. It tests us. We learn about our limits. And we also learn about the limitlessness of God that we talked about for the last six weeks. It all plays into this. We face our failures. We wrestle with temptations. We seek God. We hear God. We listen to God. We, we lean on Him. We... we, we we learn all about him and who he really is. And it helps us prioritize what really matters. So I ask you this question. What was Jesus actually doing in this desert place? He was fasting and he was praying. And while he was fasting and while he was praying, what communication do you think he was having with God? What kind of conversation do you think he was having with God? What kind of things do you think he was talking about as he was doing this? And the great thing is, as we look throughout Scripture, this isn't the only time that he stopped and said, i got to stop peopling. i got to get away. And you introverts, you get that 100%. And we extroverts, we get that sometimes. But there's times we just got to stop and we got to get away and we got to understand that, that, that we need to be in communication with our Father to get our priorities back straight. Because when I think about Jesus praying, I don't know what he was praying. It doesn't say. It's a pretty short account in it all. But he did just a few chapters later in the book of Matthew teach us how to pray while he was teaching the Sermon on the Mount. You probably know it. You know, one of the funny things I was thinking about is this. You know, with Ash Wednesday, most people don't fully understand what it's even about, why they put ash on their head, why they give up things for 40 days. And that's kind of what we're talking about a little bit here. But even more so in that, the prayer that Jesus taught us is one that we have a tendency to repeat, a tendency that just comes up at a vigil, or a tendency that, that just comes up in, in some way. And it says, this is how you pray, because Jesus told us to do it. But we forget what it actually means. So what I want you to do is I want you to, if you have your Bibles open, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. It says, pray then... Like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Like I said, this prayer has a tendency that you, you probably were already saying it. You didn't have to flip to Matthew chapter 3 and you're probably saying it to King James. You're like, hey, that doesn't sound exactly the same. It's, it's not exactly the same, but it's the same meaning. There's two words in there, though, that I put up here on the thing that I want you to see, that I want you to see that Jesus was probably praying on something that we need to pray and understand, and that is the word your and the word your. You know what the word your and the word your is? It's not our and our. That's what it is. Because a lot of times in our prayers, we forget that we are asking God that His kingdom come and His will be done. But in our lives, we say, my kingdom come, my will be done. And so when we stop and we look at Jesus in the wilderness and He's praying this, do you think that He was praying to get Himself back in priority with what God had called Him to do? Just to make sure that on the next three years, this mission I'm going to be on to seek and save the lost, that I don't waver from it, that I don't deviate from it, that Satan can't come in and try and tempt me and do all these things, that I will be strong in the spirit, that I will be strong because I understand why I'm here. And then what about us? Why are you here? What's the purpose of us? What is this all about? You know, the crazy thing is, we get caught up in this whole idea of more. We get caught up in this idea of, oh, I need this and I need this. Well, 
just a few verses later in Matthew chapter 6, after he's taught them how to pray, he's teaching them, and as he's teaching them, people are worried about not having and not having and not having. He says this in response to them in that Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He says, guess what, guys? You need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then everything else is going to be added to you. But seek first. Get your priorities straight. I think Jesus was there in the wilderness making sure his priorities were straight. And I think he was setting even more so an example for us to make sure our priorities are straight. See, where's our focus? Where's our priority? Is it on more or is it on God? It's a difficult question to truthfully answer. Because we sitting in church are supposed to say, well, it's God. Yeah, I mean, Jesus is the answer in church. So, so that's it. But in our actual lives, truthfully speaking, is it on more or is it on God? Wilderness time, I believe, helps us see our heart's desires clearly. What do you want to be full of? The Spirit? Notice how Jesus went in full of the Spirit, Luke talks about, and he went out in the power of the Spirit, Luke talks about. Or do you want to be full of yourselves? Now, we use that kind of as a, as a derogatory term. Oh, he's just full of himself. That's because we are. That's why. We like to be full of ourselves, but should we not be full of the Spirit? Wilderness time brings us to that. There was a song that was like late 90s, early 2000s that was sung a whole, whole lot in church. And it's, it's all about, uh, uh, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it said, when all is stripped away, when the music fades, Lord, I simply come. When all is stripped away and God is everything that's left, is that enough? Is that enough for you and is that enough for me? You know, I've been reading through uh, the, the Bible chronologically, and uh, I, I've hit Exodus, end of Exodus and beginning of Leviticus, and it's not easy or fun or anything along those lines. Uh, so if you're going to do that, just be prepared for that, that wilderness time as well. But right around the end of January, beginning of February, I was actually reading in Job, because the chronological Bible has Genesis and then Job. And so I'm reading through Job, and as I'm reading through Job, I, I began to see some real difficulty in Job. So, some real struggles, because if you know anything about the, 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 the life of Job, Satan and God have a conversation and say, yeah, Satan, you can do what you want up to this point with Job. And so the first chapter, Job has everything. He's got wealth, he's got animals, he's got all the things, he's got wives, he's got kids, he's got all that kind of stuff like that. And boom, halfway through the first chapter, in a day, Hey, I was just out there, and all these meteors fell and killed all your animals. Hey, I was just out there, and this, the house fell down and killed all your kids. Hey, I was just out there, and it was just like this whole boom. He goes, tears his clothes, sits at the front gate. Well, then, chapter 2, he gets sickness all over him, boils, all kinds of fun stuff that, that we really look forward to. And then from chapter 3 until chapter 39, there's nothing but wilderness. It's him sitting at the gate for seven days in silence when his friends, and I put the quotation mark friends up there because if you have friends like that, who needs enemies kind of thing, go and they try and talk to him and try and encourage him. And the encouragement part, that's not very encouraging. And then about halfway through, which happened to be the same day as my birthday when I was reading this, about halfway through, it said, his wife came to him and said, you just need to curse God and die. Oh, thanks, hon. So appreciate that lifting up, you know, and all of these things. And until verse or chapter 39, we see all of the wilderness that takes place. In chapter 40 and 41, it's God being declared who he is and then asking Job, how dare you question me? 
Who do you think you are that you can question me? Since when does the clay question the potter and what the potter's doing? And then in 42, everything's restored. But that's a whole big chunk of life. That whole new beginning thing, that's great. The beginning of it all, when we get into what we're doing, that's great. But that wilderness time, what happens then? Where are we at then? Is God enough when everything else is stripped away? That's a question I think we need to answer. I think it's a question that, that we need to, to really think about. Because when it comes all right down to it, we learn the lesson of priority in the wilderness. And I wrote three things down that really kind of just circle themselves around this idea of priority. And the first one is this. I believe our true identity is often found in the wilderness. Because, see, we can put on a front for our job. We can put on a front for our family. We can put on a front for church. And we can put on this idea of what we think our identity is. But when all of that is stripped away, we find out this is who we are. This is who we are in God. Second thing I wrote down is this. We don't realize that God is all we need until God is all we have. I don't know if you've ever been there. Unfortunately, I have, and my guess is that you have too. When we enter that wilderness, though, we leave behind all the God substitutes. We leave behind all of our false addictions, all of our false idols. We leave behind all of our inadequacies, our dependencies on temporary things are stripped away. And all we have left is God. And is that enough? The third thing I wrote down is this. We learn to let God write the story of our lives. See, since the fall of man, we want to be on the throne of our life. That's the whole idea of the fall, was I want to have knowledge and I want to have these things. And that's why they took the fruit and all the stuff like that. So as we look at that, we say, okay, how does this play out in our lives? Well, we want to write that story. And we want our story to be the one that God just agrees with. Do we not? I can't tell you how many times that I understand the meaning of laying my life down, but the actual practice of it is so much more difficult. When I think to myself, God, you do not move fast enough. God, you don't know my life the way I know my life, so I need to do it this way. See, I want my life to be perfect. I don't know about you guys. I I like that idea. You know, we talk about the wilderness. Anybody in here really like camping in just a makeshift little tent out in the wilderness with your shovel, and you've started a fire with some rocks. And I know there's a couple of you in here that are like that. However, if I were to offer you that, or I'd say, here is a pleasure cruise, and it's got all the entertainment and all the food and all the vacations and all the little fun spots and all that stuff, it would be difficult, even if you like the wilderness, not to choose that. Because this is everything, and this is a struggle. But the thing is, is where do you learn the most? Is it in the struggle or is it when everything is being done for you? And when I stop and I think about that, we have to let God write the story of our lives and understand that there's going to be struggle in that and that as I follow him, I understand he's in control. I understand that he's sovereign. I understand that he is God and I am not. The wilderness usually feels like a curse at first. Why, God? However, always ends up in a blessing. And you say, always ends up in a blessing? What about those who die? If you die a Christian, it's going to end up in a blessing. And that's the, that's the reality that we have to hold on to. And that's the reality that, that believers have held on to all the way throughout the ages. First Peter 5.10, it says this, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore 
confirm, strengthen, and establish you. What a great story. What a great thing to know. See, Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, and Mark chapter 1, they, they tell our story. They tell about us leaving home and that, that comfort zone that we have. They tell about us being baptized into Christ and, and talks about us growing in the Holy Spirit. And, and then there'll be times of prosperity and there's going to be times of wilderness and what we do and what we learn in the middle of all of that. It, it tells who we are. And honestly, like I've already said before, where are you most likely to learn the most about yourself? Is it in that pleasure cruise or is it in the wilderness? Is it when, when we are at our best and everything is, falls in our, our, our laps and, and we're just good to go? Or is it when we have to struggle and rely on something bigger than ourselves? That's a question worth asking. And I think there's three groups of people in here today. In the three groups of people is this. One is a person who's right in the middle of the wilderness right now. Somebody who is struggling right now with who God is, with what God's doing, trying to figure this out and trying to learn maybe even the priorities and the things that God's trying to lead them to. Second group of people is this, is the people who have just come through the wilderness and now see that new beginning and are closer to God. The third group of people is people who are just coming through the wilderness and instead of being better, they're bitter. There's an anger towards God. See, each group of people is related in or, or is represented in this room. And as I look at that and I think about this, I want to let you know that it's okay to be in any one of those three groups. Because I think when we walk into church, we don't think we're allowed to be in any one of those groups. That we have to have it all together, that we have to be on the pleasure cruise, and that's our life. But that's not reality. Because life, if you're living it, is going to have that wilderness time. And how we respond to it and what we do during it, that, that, is, that is between us and God. And, and He is shaping us and He is molding us and He is making us. But even if it's between us and God, the community of the church, that's what it's for. The community of the church to come together, to work together, to not be uh, worried about what somebody else is going to think or what somebody else is going to say. Instead, just coming alongside of them and being with them. See, I think a lot of times we're afraid or worried about what somebody else might think in the church. I think when we walk in the door, and I've mentioned this before, as soon as we hit it, as soon as we open the door of the car, we have to you better smile. We're at church. That, that mentality, we have to put that on. You better not cry right now. We're at, you know, all those kind of things. We have that, and I was told that when I was a kid, so that's immediately the mentality that I have. How do we break that away and say, you know what? It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be in the struggle. It's okay to let God continue to shape you and mold you and sanctify you and purify you. You realize that gold isn't purified until it goes through the fire and all the impurities raised to the top. But that fire is hot and it's uncomfortable. We have the same thing in our lives. So no matter where you're at, I want to ask you today to recognize who God is to not forget that he's there with you in the wilderness and not forget that he's there with you in the, in the prosperity. Psalms makes it very clear that he's an ever-present help in times of trouble. We have to remember that God is there with us. I'm going to slide right over there to that pew after I pray, and I would love to pray with you. I'd love to talk to you about who God is. If you're in the midst of struggle, how the church can, as a community can come around you. If you have come through struggle and are closer to God because of it, let's praise God because of it. And if you are come through struggle and, and you feel as if you're more bitter than you are better, let's talk about that and how we can walk together through this to see you grow closer to him and see the priorities. That's what it is, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are and what you do. And thank you for your word. This preserved the, the life of Jesus. 
to see the things that he went through. And did he have to? I don't know. But he did. And he did it for an example for us to show us who he is and who we are, that he was 100% God, but also 100% man, that he could be tempted, that he could have struggles, that he could experience loneliness, that he could experience sadness, that, that he could experience times that were even far from you when he was on the cross. But God, he did that for us, and we're thankful for it. We're thankful for the knowledge that you have given us. Help us to apply that even as we walk out of this building today. We pray in your name. Amen.